Are you in a leadership role trying to figure out how to convince others to change their mind? Have you ever wondered why is leading and influencing others so darn hard? Are you looking for practical answers to these two vital questions? If so, welcome to my podcast, Closing the Gap with Denise Cooper. I'm your host, Denise Cooper, and I am a storyteller. I interview thought leaders and people just like you who are learning and practicing the art and expanding on the science of leadership. Listen as my guests and I talk about what it takes to be a remarkable leader in the 21st century. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening to all of those who tuned in to Closing the Gap with Denise Cooper. This is a conversation and you know that I'm a storyteller and I love great conversations that really are about stories because it is from these stories that we begin to learn. Closing the Gap is a place where you can come and hear intimate conversations with my guests and I on how they learn to be really good leaders, to have great careers and to find joy in their life. Because when we talk about closing the gap, it's about where we are now, where we wanna be in our career, in our life, but more importantly, in our business, in our professional roles, so that we can become the best leaders that we possibly can become. We live in interesting times. And you know, there's that Chinese saying that says, may you live in interesting times. It's interesting because the way we think about work is dramatically changing. At one time, we believed that leaders were people in a role that had a title that indicated that they were a leader. Now, because our work is so different and technology has changed the game, each and every one of us has to think about our own individual leadership and what does that mean? The challenge is that the rule book is pretty unclear. If you go to Amazon or you Google, what is leadership? How do I develop leadership? You will get millions of hits, much of it all in the same genre, all of it in the same advice of do this, watch the work, make it about the task, influence or communicate. But it's always from this heroic leadership mindset. What if the heroic leadership mindset that it's the person with all the answers, the person with the courage to speak up, the person who's been given the resources and the title to be the leader has evolved to something where each of us has to begin to understand what it means to step up, show up, and speak up, to be the leader, to be the influencer. Well, if that's the new model, then what does it take for us to learn? My guest today, Joe Caruso, is a very special person. Not always do we get a chance in our life to look back and in the middle of it say, how do I want to live forward? How do I want to show up in this world as a good human being who can sleep well, who offers wisdom and value and support to those people in my circle And what does it mean to be a leader? Well, 18 years ago or thereabouts, Joe was diagnosed with incurable cancer. And what he did was he committed what he believed was what little time he had left, spending five hours a day, five days a week, studying life. He wanted to identify 
what he now refers to as simple, common, timeless human truths. In his quest, he felt compelled to answer a simple yet difficult question before he was overcome by the cancer. What is the essence of a fulfilling, successful, and happy life? Joe became one of the first people ever cured from metastasized testicular cancer. And with this gift, he decided he would continue his studies and begin to collect and analyze his findings on life. Joe is an expert on the individual mind, the collective mind, we often refer to as the culture of your organization, and how meaning drives our behavior and determines outcomes in every aspect of our life. He's an author, a business advisor, and a speaker. And he's brought his lifetime of study and expertise to help organizations and leaders change the way they see themselves and in turn, the way they think about markets, products, and services. He's learned that this change in thinking drives new behavior and allows organizations to sharpen focus and reach greater levels of success. And if you've listened to me on this podcast before, you know that when we start talking about organizations, well, we're really talking about people who have made a decision to work together for a common purpose. So there is no they, there is no organization, there is only us, there is only you, there is only me. And now I ask you to sit back and just listen to our conversation about what does it mean to live a good life and how do you lead in a world that is changing every day. Hello, Joe. I'm busy right now. If you can get back with me. <laughs> Hi, Hori. That was, that was pretty good. I'm, I'm taking notes, you know. I mean, it was, it was strong. I can see why you were so successful in your career and now successful in your, in your new life. <laughs> Thank you. Well, you know, our pre-conversation before we got here, it gives me an opportunity to sit back and just think about what are the questions that people would ask if they really felt they had permission to ask. And that's what these conversations are really about is what does it really mean from a different perspective? Because I can only see through the eyeballs that are in my head. And unfortunately, I interpret what I think you're thinking and your behavior through the mindset that I have. And sometimes I get that wrong. More often than not, we don't even know who we are. So the context that we use to define everything else in the world is the foundation of that context is based on us. I live on an island at the top of Lake Erie. We have deer. So everybody knows what a deer is. I mean, you see one deer, another deer, and you can go, oh, that's a deer and that's a deer. You don't have to know male, buck, female, doe. Mm -hmm. You just, that's a deer. That's easy. But to an animal lover, a deer is Bambi and they want to feed it. And to a hunter, a deer is game. And to a butcher, it's meat. To a gardener, it's a very expensive pest because he sells the flowers. And to, a, to someone who drives in uh, northern Michigan with dark roads, it's the most dangerous animal they'll encounter. Mm -hmm. More people die from deer and car accidents than any other animal encounter. Mm -hmm. Still a deer. You're exactly right. You interpret what anyone else is doing and what it means based on your self-perception, the context of you as you see yourself, you are. When I work with leaders, I help them say, who are we? 
are we competing with that store across the street? Which one of my clients did, and it was all about dropping the price. And I said, we'll just put the closed sign in the window now because it's a race yep. to the bottom. It's the contest of who can lean the farthest out the window. Someone is, you know, whoever falls out wins. Not a good ending. Mm -hmm. And instead we became the largest business in that industry nationally. Mm -hmm. Because you stop focused on the guy across the street. You know, you think of Apple and Microsoft. They're going head to head. Nobody was really, really making any great strides until they changed the business they were in. Apple said, look, we're a disruptor. And they started with music and it became something completely different. Yeah, Simon Sinek talks about, you know, riding in a car, a cab with an Apple person. And he was talking about his Google phone and how great it was and slick and all this other stuff. And the Apple executive is like, yeah, uh-huh. Well, I'm sure it does. Yeah. Oh, great. I love it. Still doing his work, still head down, et cetera. And he says, you know, something like, isn't this who you're competing against? What right? You know, you should be trying to, you know, adopt and adapt and all of this. And he says, the guy just raised his head and looked at him and says, we're not competing with anybody. We're making the best that we can make. We know what we do well. And this is a game for the long, long term. And that ultimately that becomes the infinite game that he talks about. Yes. I had a client who was a very small business. He was a very, very well-known man, knows five languages fluently. When I asked him something, what is the word for that in Greek? He wrote it in Greek. He's <laughs> a paper. I hate him. But anyway, lovely man, very, very intelligent, very well-respected. And this week, I think last week, end of the week, he rang the bell on Wall Street and went public. Mm. I've never known anybody that I've personally coached that went from a small business to that, that fast. And the stock went up 200%. It's not one of those fluff offerings. Right. It's a pleasure. But he first had the thing, the realization that he had that he told me mm -hmm. was it's all about the mind. Everything that happens, happens in your mind. Mm -hmm. I did a podcast yesterday and somebody questioned the interviewer and said, I am not my mind. That, well, it actually wasn't a question. It was a statement. I said, and that thought did not originate in your elbow. Descartes wrote, I think, therefore I am. Mm -hmm. How we think and how we see ourselves is the first and most important, fundamental, quintessential aspect of leadership. That's my new book is going to be called Quintessential Leadership. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, so that, let, me, let me stop you right there because good. if you decide you're going to do a search for we hear that all the time, yet we don't practice that. What's the disconnect? Well, leadership is a mantelpiece of an idea. We like mm -hmm. to put it up on the shelf, polish it, and put it back and praise it. And yet leadership, what is leadership? Let's just go right to the essence of it. Mm -hmm. What is the essence? What is the determination of a strong leader? Someone who can really lead now, I've had people say, well, they're honorable and they listen to people and they're humble and they care. And I think all of those are lovely. One guy even said, it's like the five points on a star. Mm. And I went, stars have five points. I, mm. <laughs> Hitler was an effective leader. Yeah. Heinous, evil incarnate. Didn't have any of those qualities. Mm -hmm. Led a lot of people to think a lot of things. Mm-hmm. A leader is determined singularly and foremost by those who are willing to follow. Yeah. 
And so if you don't have an idea that you communicate, I'd like to talk about the ways you can communicate idea Mm -hmm. to help people create something that hasn't been thought of before or created before. If you take a culture which created itself, you didn't create it Mm -hmm. and want it to be something else. And you don't know how cultures are created, which is the collective mind, as you Mm -hmm. absolutely correctly pointed out, you're not a leader. And it starts with how do I see myself? And as you know, and everybody listening knows, we have different roles in different moments. There are times my wife wants to talk to me and just have me listen and empathize and not solve her problem in spite of my desire to solve the problem. Right, right, right. If my desire takes precedent, I have a problem. Mm -hmm. So knowing your role at any point in time is very important. In yesterday's podcast, the guy says, okay, you have one minute. What's the most important thing a leader can do? And I went, one minute? I spent an hour a week with my clients for years. I didn't, I just, I didn't say that. I said, learn to listen better. Yeah. You already know what you know. Mm-hmm. How did they come up with that conclusion? Why did they think that way? Why did they ask that question? And you talked about permission to ask questions. It occurs to me, I have never been the type of person that thinks I need permission to ask a question. Thank you, mom and dad. Mm-hmm. Ask. I'm the biggest question asker you've ever met. <laughs> When people call me and they say, we might want to hire you, but we don't know why. Well, let's have a conversation. Yeah. One guy called me once. This was just so much fun. I think I could tell this story. I will tell this story. He calls me up and all of his buddies in a very high powered organization, all CEOs said, you got to talk to this guy. So he calls me up and he said, all these people said, I have to talk to you and I have to hire you. Why? And I said, can I ask you a few questions about your company? And he told me second generation and where they're located and immigrant parents and all the rest. I said, if I can describe the office and the building you're sitting in right now without ever seeing it, and it's not on Google or anyplace else, and I do it correctly, will I then have your full attention to have the conversation? I said, you're in the corner office. There are windows on two walls. Your bookshelves are full of mementos and books, most of which you haven't read. And outside your office is a secretary sitting at a desk, maybe two, and portraits of the family members hanging in full oil color paintings. You're on the top floor and the office is built like a fortress. He said, okay, you have my attention. Mm. See, at 72,000 images a minute, we're always telling people who we are. Yeah. And if you can get your ego out of the way, your sense of self, your need to be right, your desire to justify and validate everything that you already know, which if you already know it, why do you have to have it validated? How insecure can you be? Mm -hmm. Put that aside, pay attention, fully and empathically in the moment with another human being, you can learn. And what do you want to learn about? You want to learn about them. You know, there's this thing I'm running on. I'll I'll, I'll pause here. There's a thing called the great resignation. Mm -hmm. Nothing great about it, but CEOs from around the world call me up and say, what do we do? Because it's not just in America. Right. And I say, well, you should know three things about every important employee to you. And they're all important, but the ones that you have access to, right? you know, you shouldn't skip level down is why do you work? Why do you work here? Mm -hmm. And what do you love the most about your job? And if you don't know those three things, you're a victim to whatever the zeitgeist of the collective mind of the culture might 
imbue in their thinking process because you didn't care to ask. I also think that if you're an employee, not the CEO or the executive responsible for them, I think those are important questions that you need to ask anyway, because the definition of careers is really changing. There was, you know, as little as 10, 15 years ago, people still believed and there were still possibilities that you would start with a company. Maybe, you know, you start your career, maybe have two or three job changes, but then you'd find that place and you would smoothly move along until the end of time. And I hate to say it, but outside of a government job, I don't know that that exists anyplace else. And that probably is going to be the last place it changes. But at some point, even there, it's going to change. And so if that is the new nature of how work is and the future of work, then it really behooves us to be able to answer those questions that you just asked. What do I do? How do I show up? What's important to me? And is this the role that I want to be in right now? Those are important questions, I think, whether you have a role that's a leader, but just as a person, because your work is valuable. And if you can't answer those questions and evolve into it, because what was valuable in your 20s isn't going to be what's valuable in your 30s or your 40s or your 50s. At some point, one of the things I wrestle with leaders with is it isn't so much you understand the technical knowledge, the technical aspect of the knowledge. But it is about how do you add your wisdom about how work happens, the process of work that enables efficiency, effectiveness, and connectedness. That's brilliant. And it's exactly right. We spend two-thirds of our life at work. If we see work as a burden and the need for a job as the yoke, we're an oxen Mm -hmm. in that moment to complete the metaphor. And many people probably have to look up yolk because most people don't know what it is anymore. It's not a part of an egg with this particular spelling. But if you can say, I either help or hurt everyone I meet now that I know what I'm responsible. And what this organization does is bigger than what I can do myself. And it requires others. I have to actually teach some CEOs. You're not going to make yourself rich Mm -hmm. if that's your goal. Other people will make you rich. You want them to not resent you as they do it and really believe in in the structure and organization of what we're doing and have them find themselves in it. And it's very important, you know, on the dollar bill when I was a kid, I just had this thought last, I do a lot of thinking. My TV's (laughs) in my closet and uh, (laughs) we pull it out uh, to watch it once in a while, but I don't, I haven't turned a TV on in eight, nine years. So I think, and I write, and I remembered thinking back, and I reflect, and I remember thinking back when I was a, re- I mean, really young, I'm not talking about, like, I mean, same size as I am now, I'm a very mm-hmm. short man, but, mm-hmm. you know, five. <laughs> and I remember asking my dad, like, why is this piece of paper worth more than that piece of paper? Because it has a different number on the corner. And I was talking about bills, dollar bills. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And my dad, we were under the gold standard at the time. And my father didn't, he knew that would be way over my head. So I don't even remember the answer. It didn't make any sense to me. But the dollar, no matter what it said, it said, in God we trust. Mm -hmm. Well, this culture has gone from in God we trust to in authority we trust to in government we trust to in how I feel I trust, in my opinion, I trust. And, you know, in the 80s, 
most of the country was watching the same TV shows every day. Mm-hmm. And now everyone has access to everything and can question everything from dubious sources, from every side of the planet and every side of an opinion. I remember back and some people aren't going to be old enough to remember this, but there was a magazine called Life. And then there was a magazine called People that mm-hmm. followed. That. Mm-hmm. And there was a magazine called Us. Mm-hmm. And then there was a magazine called Self. Mm-hmm. And that's where we are today. Part of being a really, truly happy human being is to know that life is bigger than you and to know that things are more important than you. It's good to know that you're powerful and you don't need permission to ask questions. It's good to make a difference in the world. A doer doing, as I asked one of the most famous psychoanalysts in the world who just passed away, we were writing together and he said, to be a doer doing with the hope of an achievement makes a healthy mind. The opposite is nihilism. Why do it? It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. And when nihilism is applied in a workplace, as you just described, in a different way, I'm, I'm more abstract at this point. Why do it? Why mm-hmm. does it matter? And then envy can kick in. I have to bring down somebody else because I don't think I'm important. Which is fueled by the bullying you know, issues that we have now. I read somewhere that some 30% of employees have been bullied and another 25% observe it and don't know what to do with it. I just wrote about that last week in my new book, Levels of Awareness. Mm-hmm. There are some people that have no idea what happened. They're not aware. And there are people that know something happened, but don't understand it. Right. They're somewhat aware. And there are people that understand what happened and their role in it. And that could be a football fan. And football fans will never tell you that fan is short for fanatic, but at least they know their role. And I got nothing against football. I think it's a lovely sport other than the brutality. But, you know, I'm becoming a frail old man, so that scares me. <laughs> and, and I always was. I'm just realizing my mortality in a different way. Other than when I was 18 and I was told I was dead from cancer. But I think that the understanding of self and being a doer doing gives you a healthy mind to know I made a difference. I can, as you said earlier, sleep at night. I did my best today. I did my role. Today, I was supposed to listen to this person. I was supposed to help that person. I developed my mind enough to know how to listen, when to listen, what to say, how to say it. And we get to leading people. We're going to talk about, I would love to talk about, as you talked about storytelling, mm-hmm. how to say things in is as important as what you say. Managers manage behavior. Leaders lead minds. That's a lot to say. (laughs) And I say that from the perspective of, you know, most leaders, particularly the higher you get in the organization, the struggle really is about all the issues and problems, et cetera. And how do you keep people focused? You know, leadership is a communication skill fundamentally. It's the ability to be able to listen as you've been talking about, but it's also about the ability to paint a picture that people can say, yes, I understand what it is you're trying to achieve. And I understand my role in trying to achieve that. I mean, that's what organizations ultimately and leadership, whatever level you're at, that sphere of influence you have, that's your primary role. What's the picture we're trying to do? Do people have the resources and the wherewithal to do it? Then it's about follow up and follow through. And that's basically simple. And I tell people all the time, every business is the same. You have a product, 
you have some customers, you got to collect money. Now, there's lots of other things you do up under each one of those, but fundamentally, you have no customers, you have no business. You have no product, you have no business. You can't collect money. You ain't going to have a business. There's no business money. <laughs> you know, it, that's amazing that you say that this concept of envy is just killing the culture. Does a CEO care more about, what, what do they call it now, profits than people? That's a false choice. Yes. I know so many CEOs that are the most compassionate people I've ever met mm-hmm. and care about their people so passionately, but they have to run a business. It, it, this is critical. And I teach the importance of listening, but I also teach the importance of how do you get to someone's mind who's already got it made up and based on the construct of their mind, their greatest desire is to be right. That's what keeps us sane. Mm-hmm. So you look in life for validation. You don't look in life for consideration. Right. Considerations almost out the window for anyone but really, truly smart people. And you don't have to be an intellect to be a smart person. And I think about, I know your favorite artist is Tina Turner. And I know one of your favorite songs is Proud Mary. Now, I couldn't know that if I didn't care. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. So let's look at Proud Mary. Now, look at your face already. You just lit up like a Christmas tree. Why? Because I'm talking about you. I'm sharing my idea Mm-hmm. talking about you to you in the context that you enjoy. That's leadership. That's helping a mind understand a consideration. Proud Mary is a song about a riverboat, but the way that Ike and Tina Turner arranged and performed it, you've got this proud black woman stomping around in heels in her fringe dress. And Proud Mary is about a proud black woman taking charge. It's a metaphor. It's about a steamboat rolling down the river. It even says rolling down the river. Nobody thinks of that. In fact, there'll be many people listening today, whenever this airs or whenever they come across it, they're going to go, it is about a steamship rolling down the river. Big wheels keep Keep on on turning. It's a metaphor for life. The power of metaphor is critical. Yeah. So if we could take what I call take people to 35,000 feet. They want to get in. They want you to look at their problem myopically the way they are with Mm -hmm. no perspective, only their own. Mm -hmm. And if you can use a metaphor to get to 35,000 feet, they can consider there may be another way. Whereas my friend, Dr. Curtis Bristol, the famous psychoanalyst says, what else could that mean? A leader's job is to help introduce what else it could mean in a way they can find themselves in it. And that requires a respect to talk to others on their level in their language, the way they want to hear it. And then you've communicated an idea successfully. And then you've got a chance for them to decide if they want to be willing to follow, which is what determines leadership. Yeah. Was that a little too, too tight or I could abstract it? No, the- no, no. I, I think, I hope that people will hear that ultimately it is about a choice and good leaders present relevant choices that allow people to say, oh, here's how I connect. Here's how I can help. Here's how I'm, I feel worthy and relevant and how I'm going to benefit from this. And I'm okay with that. Yes, not false choices. That's bad exactly right. Real leaders exactly. Oscar Wilde said that most, if the fastest way to unite an uncommon people is the hatred of a common enemy, yeah. which is politics today. Well, that's, that's not really leadership. That's manipulation. Mm-hmm. Even Niccolo Machiavelli, who wrote The Prince, he doesn't say do that. He says, learn that people do that and how they do it. 
if you want to be a good person. But today, Machiavelli, bad name. Read the book. Oh, isn't that part of the problem? But I want to shift just a little bit of, yes, so from a leader's perspective, whether you have the title or it's a small L and you don't, it is about understanding other people's perspectives, right? Yes. There's a lot of stuff that gets in the way because you mentioned profit and people, was it? People, profit yeah, it's is- false choice. You care more false about choice. one or the other, yeah. Yeah, but I do think that the choice is profit or purpose and both make money. You can be focused on the dollar and making the money and you will make money. And there's the other way of you can focus on purpose to do good, to serve people in a certain way, to sell a product that is quality, integrity, to bring people together, to create something that's bigger than themselves, you will make money too. Some research says that you make more money through purpose than you do profit. But I always say that's the greed factor, right? (laughs) Because if $50 is what I want to make and I make it through following the task and there's no judgment on being focused on the money. There's no judgment on following on purpose and to serve with other individuals. It is a choice which one that makes your heart sink and how you do that. And what does that look like? Because there's some people who the task and completing the task elevates their spirit where other people need a relationship, a story, and that elevates their spirit. And so Everyone needs a story. We think in story. Exactly. Very, and, very, and so, what it, so understanding yourself, whether you're a leader or because you have a title of leader or you're an individual, you're still a leader. You have to understand what it is that motivates you and what stops you from taking the risk to do something different. How do you identify your, this is brilliant. I'm enjoying this discussion. You have to find out what it is in your own self-definition that's preventing you from having the things that you want. Mm-hmm. And what it is, if a leader is struggling, I've seen many leaders pound their table and go, why don't these people understand? And I'm saying, well, if you don't know, you can't get them to understand. It's not because you're a genius. That's just maladaptive anger that you just did. That's one of the five ways you express maladaptive anger. Mm-hmm. If you don't know what that is, then you're probably doing it all the time. And so it's really important in closing the gap, as you say, in the title of this show, between what you want and what you have, which is, by the way, a great definition of a problem, what is and what should be. Yep. That gap is the problem. Yep. Also a goal. The problems aren't always negative. Yep. It's an opportunity. It just depends on which side of the coin you're looking at. Exactly right. There are people that love to do problem solving books or crossword. I mean, they're mathematicians. I mean, they're fun. So I think that's important. And in terms of a business mindset, which you mentioned earlier, if they were going to hold the Wimbledon this year, I don't know when that is, but if they announced we're holding the Wimbledon, it's going to be on TV, it's going to be in England, it's everything it's ever been, except for this year, for fairness, we're not keeping score. Mm hmm. How many people are going to watch? Yeah. In business, the score is money, money and market share. Mm-hmm. Now, some companies like Amazon can create market share and then make the money, mm-hmm. but you have to have funding to do it, which is money. And that's the measure of business. Otherwise, you're running a hobby. Mm-hmm. God bless and good luck. Don't call it a business. 
And so how we define ourselves is the foundational context of how we define everything else in our lives. And if we want to close the gap between who we think we can be and who we are, we have to fundamentally and first and foremost look at ourselves and how we understand ourselves. And that's the essence of my work. And it really is about what gets in the way. Because, you know, we have an issue now where we've got a collective workforce that based, because we have, and it's primarily women and people who are locked in low paying jobs, right? School teachers, those kinds of jobs, worthy work, meaningful work. And yet they also have to live, you know, the working class poor is out there and we have to figure out a way, how do we bring dignity to them? But the choices that we offer them or the choices and the constraints that we currently have for them are not always the opportunities where they can move to the next level. And I think a lot of it has to do with this idea we haven't quite let go of. Time is a long time and we have seasons for things. And it's really success in this post-pandemic world. I think if we didn't learn anything else, the thing that we have to get better at is understanding and embracing change and working change. It's clear to me that you have wisdom. You're not just espousing ideas that you read in yesterday's book, the truth for today or the, you know, something of the moment. Not just the ideas you have, but the way you express the ideas. They're experiential. And I've got a new audio book. You mentioned my book. Thank you for saying that. It's in six languages. It's a bestseller. Mm-hmm. By the way, I have the books in all the languages. I can't read one of them. I have no idea if it's even what I wrote. Trust and believe. That's all I got. So my housekeeper has been our friend for two decades. The book came out in Portuguese, Brazil. And she said, oh, I said, what does this say? And she read it to me. And I said, what does that say? And she said, to Carol, my lovely wife, my best friend, and whatever, because I dedicated the book to my wife. And she says, Joe Caruso, this guy's got your name. She couldn't do the mental translation about the translation, which is part of conveying an idea to another human being. But in that book, I talk about all these concepts, the power of losing control, Mm -hmm. the illusion of control, and when you have control and when you don't, and how to accept that without fear. So that audiobook will be available, I'm hoping, by Christmas. They're working really hard post-production right now in Italy on it. The second thing I want to mention is you said about time. Now, on my website is, uh, I don't know if that's on the screen or not, it's carusoleadership.com, but we have a daily cup of joe. It's free. It's an idea. So I write them in advance, and I, I got mine today, and I looked at it and said, time is the leading cause of death. Wasting time is the leading cause of a wasted life. Mm. So having a purpose, knowing you're a doer doing with an intention of finishing, it's not creating a happy ending. It's the intention that I believe I can create a happy ending. That's what keeps you doing. Mm -hmm. And life isn't a good beginning, middle and end. It's a good beginning and middle with a promise of a good end. Mm -hmm. And thank you. I should write that one down. some point. I'll put it in the new book, actually. I, I'll there you go. Okay. <laughs> it's going to be the new book that's not out yet. So I think that what you're talking about is we can all be leaders, small L, in any moment in time, you know, moms and dads and parents and partners and lovers and 
friends and husbands and wives and even kids, even friends, if we know our role, we're wise about the world is bigger than our opinion Mm -hmm. of it, which is based largely and fundamentally and foundationally on our own opinion of ourselves, and that we can become while we be. Mm -hmm. If we can learn what's in the way of becoming and learn how to think differently, which requires true consideration, which is becoming a lost art form today in this country. Mm-hmm. This world, not just this country. No, 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 I'm seeing it. I was just in Italy for six weeks. And yes, it is in the world. Yes. Yeah. You're too much fun. <laughs> and as such, let me, let me bring it back to, you've learned a lot. You've been around some really smart people. You've had the gift of slowing down and you've taken advantage of the gift. Let me put it that way. Of slowing down and really trying to figure out how to say, a life well lived is a true statement about Joe. What would you say is the biggest lesson that life has taught you? You know, we don't pride ourselves to our lessons and therefore I'm not very proud of my lessons. I'm, we humble ourselves to our lessons. And I have learned that I'm not the most important person in the world, mm-hmm. but nobody's more important than me. Mm-hmm. That life is now, not the past and not the present. It's now. You are here now. And how you think and how you learn about yourself, learning about yourself is the most fertile place for you to go to learn something. Mm -hmm. And as Aldous Huxley wrote in the perennial philosophy, go to the source. Don't read about what somebody said about something. Go to the source and read the source. Commit to your mind, not what you know and what you feel but to the capacities of your mind that you haven't explored. And that's why at 18 years old, when I was told I was dead and there was no cure, and there wasn't a cure for metastasized testicular cancer in 1978. I'm one of the first people cured. I spoke to 10,000 oncology nurses, and my oncology nurse was in the front row, and I made sure of it because I didn't have an ending to my speech, Denise. (laughs) Believe it or not, I did not have an ending. I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I don't have an ending. What the heck am I doing? And I'm looking out at, you know, the lights and I can see some people, but not all 10,000. Right. And I'm thinking, and her name was Jeannie Mitashevsky at the time. It was Jeannie McDonough. No, Jeannie McDonough now, Mitashevsky, what I knew. And I said, I have the perfect ending for my speech. These are oncology nurses. I've been talking about how Jeannie helped save my life. Mm-hmm. I said, ladies and gentlemen, Jeannie. And she came up. She got the standing applause. Now that is beautiful. Perfect. And that is, for those of you who didn't figure out that little bit of a metaphor, that is the example of true leadership. It is not about you. It is always about those who enabled you to be better than you want to be. And if you're interested in closing the gap, that probably is the best lesson that you can take away from here. God, you're good. Ah! <laughs> Just like brought it all together. I gotta, you know what? I got to start taking some more. <laughs> It's so silly. Joe, this has been a fascinating conversation. How can people get a hold of you? Well, carusoleadership.com, the book I just talked about, the genie story, the audio book, the cup of Joe's, it's all there. And they could contact me through that at any time yeah. or teamcaruso.com. And we got good people here that will make sure that I wake up in the morning and sober up and, and return requests. <laughs> 
All right, guys, you know what I'm going to say. If you like this podcast, share it. If you don't like this podcast, share it. Because what I will tell you is it will guarantee a fascinating conversation and you will learn something that will help you close the gap. And with that, see ya. That's a wrap. And I'm Denise Cooper. And you've been listening to Closing the Gap with Denise Cooper. Let me thank my good friend, Ivan G. Hall, for the background music. I'd like to ask you to do three things. One, if you liked it, share it with your friends. Let's build up our community. Two, subscribe so that you don't miss when a new episode drops. And lastly, if you've got a question or a comment, leave it below. I'd love to hear what you thought was good, what I could do better, and what topics you'd like to hear about. Let me thank my guests one more last time. Thank you for listening. I'll see you next week. Bye.